I would ask you, because I'm not going to be up here, he's going to be sharing. I would ask you, pray for him. Pray for the Gustavus movement, that God would use this in a way to ignite the whole wide world, and that he would capture the young people, the next generation, that we, unfortunately, are not reaching the way that we would like to. And so, um, first is a big welcome. Secondly, uh, we're going to show a video right now uh, regarding the Gustavus and after that, our right's going to come up. Okay, so let me pray with you. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Father, for just every single person here. Right now, we just got done singing about the reckless love of God. And, and one might wonder, what is the reckless love of God? That's when God loves so much that he would leave the 99 and go looking for that one, Lord. And there is that one here tonight. There are those that are hurting. There are those that are struggling, God. And I know, Lord, you're going to do a word, Lord, in those hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fall on this place. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts and our lives and everyone, Lord, myself included, Lord, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would reach the people here tonight that have taken the time to come and to meet with the living God. Lord, bless Ryan. I pray, anoint him with your Holy Spirit. Let him know he is welcomed, he is loved here, and that you have called him for such a time as this. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After touring high schools, we are convinced students today face many more distractions and problems than ever before. Drug abuse, depression, broken families, self-harm, and suicide are just a few of the issues they have to overcome. These problems will continue to grow if we don't take action and reach out to them with a message of hope. The Whosoever's is a nonprofit organization whose goals are to deliver a purpose-driven message and empower the students, one school at a time. So we created the Kill the Noise Tour, which brings a free concert, free food, product giveaways, the Gideon's Book of Life, and an empowering purpose-driven message to the students. When you purchase our product and you become a monthly giver, it allows us not only to get into more high schools, when you are a product, you're letting the world know where you stand and it opens up opportunities to share your faith with people around you. It's been rad because every high school we go to, after we give them the message of the cross, we're allowed to give stickers out of my radio show, Live with Ryan Reese. And this is a way for these kids to tune in through their devices at home or in the streets or at their friends' house. They could tune in on Saturday nights, call in and get discipled. It's basically just the Jesus 101. They can get all the different archives from my website and get plugged into the Shine Studies, which is the Gospel of John, or go through past shows on the radio. So it's an epic way to disciple these kids on their terms without having to wish for them to come to church when that's not really the reality unless God pours out His Spirit and draws them. I love what Jesus said. He said, the harvest is ripe, the workers are few. Who will He send? Here we are. to be here. I want to thank Manny, Pastor Manny, to have me out. He hit me up a long time ago, actually, before um, before I had kids to come out to this church. So I was supposed to be here like two years ago. 
Um, and then um, we then we saw each other at a pastor's uh, meeting, and I we opened up the wake up tour, and I just saw him, and I'm like, dude, let's do it, let's set it up. And I'm like, do you have a midweek? He's like Thursday night. I said, let's set it up ASAP. So thank you for actually inviting me to come out and hang out with you guys. It's awesome. I didn't even know this church was this big. I, I didn't even know this church existed. You know, there's so many Calvary chapels and so many people are doing cool things. And your pastor obviously has a heart. I mean, you guys love your pastor. That's why you're here, right? The dude's amazing. So I want to tell you a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about myself really quick. Um, I am a husband. Awesome. I'm stoked. That's a miracle from God that that even happened, um, that I was actually able to land a lady, a good-looking lady that is actually smart, um, amazing, and she hung out with a guy like me. I don't, she's blind, blind. I am a daddy. Um, I have, um, I have triplets now, uh, and I'm going to show you a picture. This is my family. This is, this is um, also uh, very important because that whole thing is a miracle. Um, you could hear the story on my YouTube channel. It's called Living the Impossible. It's a study I did, and it talks about us going through infertility, and then we were going to lose the kids at like uh, 23 weeks. The kids couldn't even come out until 26 weeks and live. So basically, they were millimeters from coming out up to 33 weeks. It was a total God thing. I love tacos. I love menu, though. Um, I live in the culture. Um, like, like Manny was saying, um, God's called me. Um, I'm, I'm in the church. I surface in the church to, to speak. I do teach, um, do do the radio show, but my main focus also is I think I'm 50 50. I'm in the world, um, not of the world, but in the, um, and in the church because um, my heart is to reach people. And the reason why I tell you about all this stuff with the kids and everything, because that's where my heart and passion comes from is that you know, good, uh, evil prevails because good people do nothing. And I have my wife, and I have my kids growing up. You guys have your wife. You have your kids. Your grandkids are growing up in this, 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 we'll just say exciting world, <laughs> you know, this colorful world at, at this time. But this, um, this message I'm going to be given tonight, this message is going to be a topical study. It's not going to be like a normal Calvary Chapel, verse by verse. I do those too, but not tonight. Um, if you want to take notes, uh, I would encourage you to take your notes. Because I'm going to be talking about a lot of things that are going on in the news that you could cross-reference, you could write down, and, you know, make sure I'm telling the truth, go Google it. And, um, and they're all from reliable sources, too. Just you can't believe everything that's on the Internet. Um, believe what comes from reliable sources. And then, also, if you would like to cross-reference and actually go back and, and watch the study again, you could go to my YouTube channel. It's Ryan Reese. And the study is up there for free. It's a video. And you can go back and forth and get all the notes because there is going to be a lot of information. And I'm very passionate and I'm very hyper and I do have ADD. I'm just warning you. So it's going to be an amazing journey. This message, God gave me wake up. It's very thought-provoking. It's a message to encourage the church and to bring into light what this generation is facing. My heart here tonight is to challenge all of you here today so that we can do inventory on our lives and rethink what it means to be a Christian in these last days. We need to rethink our approach on what it means to be a Christian in these last days. Am I challenging the Word of God? No. The Word of God is the Word of God. That is our foundation. But to live as Christians, I hope I challenge all of you guys to make you do inventory in your life to see if you're living out what you were created to be and what the Bible teaches and what Jesus and the disciples were about. So... For the last 21 years, I've been working in the skateboard and music industry. In 2000, 2009, I co-founded the Whosoever's Movement. 
Uh, the whosoever's movement is a movement of whosoever's leading the way to reflect Christ in culture. We saw this huge need to reach the youth and culture, so we started preaching the gospel at music festivals, concerts, rehabs, high schools, middle schools, anywhere they would let us in. So to get this message started, I want to bring you guys up to speed that a couple of the things that are in the news. This message does change weekly because current events do change weekly. But I would like to start off, number one, with the, the doctor from TV. His name is Dr. Oz. So I'm going to go ahead and play this video for you really quick. Today's show is all about the latest breakthroughs. Turns out one of the biggest discoveries is actually this tiny. See how small that is? This little chip may be the next big thing, and it sounds like it's right from a sci-fi movie, but people all over the world are implanting these into their wrists. So I asked my producer, Dean, to find out more about this cutting-edge technology and what it could mean for your health. Whether it's our smartphones, our watches, our fitness trackers, or our Bluetooth headphones, it's clear that technology is not just part of our lives, it's running them. It's how we buy things, watch things, how we date, stay safe, even how we travel. Paul? Cool. We're so attracted to our devices that they're basically becoming a part of our bodies. But what if they really could become a part of our bodies? Well, guess what? They can. Meet the RFID microchip. This tiny chip, which can be implanted into your wrist, yes, I did say wrist, uses short-range radio frequency identification, similar to the tech used to track your pets or your phone. Once implanted in your body, it could identify you as you pass through the airport, open the door to your home. It could even be used to buy groceries at the supermarket. Now, your driver's license, passport, keys, and wallet are all inside your body, contained in something the size of a grain of rice. I know it might sound like sci-fi, but it's not. 10,000 people have already been chipped and the number is growing. The possibilities are limitless, especially when it comes to your health. Imagine your rush to the hospital without any identification. But with just one scan of your chip, doctors know your name, date of birth, medical history, insurance, blood type, allergies, even the medication you're taking. This chip in your wrist won't just change your life, one day it might just save it. And that's why this little RFID microchip is the next big thing. I don't know if many of you guys have actually seen that, but yes, this, this came out a couple of years ago. The mainstream, Secular world is saying this is the next big thing. They're saying it's the future, and it's great marketing. It's a positive approach on the whole chip. When I read the Bible, I thought that, you know, you know, I'm going to get to the verse in Revelations when it talks about no one can buy or sell anything without the mark. But I thought that when this stuff would come out, that it would be a very negative approach, but it's a positive approach. It says that 10,000 people already have got chip. It's amazing. Why wouldn't you get it? I don't know about you, but I've lost my credit cards many times. Credit cards, fraud, lose my keys. Personally, if I didn't read the Bible, I would love to personally get the chip. And then you got the Bitcoin currency on the rise, which I'm going to talk to you in a minute. The culture and Gen Z and the millennials are being conditioned for the Antichrist. My wife just the other day was sitting with her friend, and she's not a believer, and they were talking about um, how this human trafficking ring just got busted in Irvine, California. And her friend said, man, if there was a way to chip my kids today to protect them from getting human trafficked, I would chip them today. So the culture is totally open to being chipped, and she hasn't even seen this video. 
And this video said that they sold 10,000 already. I would tell you this. If they were to do a collaboration with Apple, they could sell millions overnight, right? You put a big fat Apple logo on it. You could put an Apple logo on a rock and sell millions. I mean, that's just the way it goes down. But if you even look closely at the screen when the video played, it said Darknet was the company that was putting it out. That's just food for thought. Let you think about that. April 3rd, 2017, sfgate.com. Headlines, writes, cyborgs at work. And then the article goes on to say, employees get implanted with microchips in Sweden. Then August 9, 2017, usatoday.com. Headlines, right? You will get chipped eventually. You will get chipped. It's just a matter of time. In the aftermath of Wisconsin firm embedding microchips in employees last week to ditch company badges, corporate logans, and the internet has entered into a full-throated debate between Christians and the mainstream. Now it is on American soil. Now they are starting to chip uh, Americans here in companies. You guys have seen this. So now it was overseas. Now it's here in America. In God we trust. March 31st, 2017, the headline says in, on, in inquire.net, it says, can Bitcoin become a global currency? With the recent research suggests that the number of active Bitcoin users is set to approach 5 million by 2009. The issue or whether the cryptocurrency has the potential to become a global currency is being hotly debated in both the technology and financial worlds. When I read global currency in the news, I start paying attention as you read the Bible. You start hearing about these kind of things. But what exactly is Bitcoin? And could it eventually take over the world? In short, Bitcoin is a virtual digital currency that uses the encryption to create and manage the exchange of funds, a cryptocurrency as it's known. Bitcoin has been successful in becoming more mainstream with companies such as Microsoft, Dell, Tesla adopting the currency. But transactions are not just limited to bigger companies with much smaller companies. You can also now order flowers, pizza, coffee, and with Bitcoin, the casinos picked it up the currency recently. So it's a digital currency. And I'm going to tie it all together here in a minute. Then July 10, 2017. Now, just a couple months ago, as you can see, the news has been progressing. July 10, 2017, the headlines on Forbes.com writes, The Emperor's new coin offering filled a $100 billion crypto bubble. So it exploded. Then on the front cover of Forbes magazine, uh, July 27, 2017, the headline says on the front cover of the magazine says, The craziest bubble ever. Bitcoin has spawned a $100 billion cryptocurrency mania. With the chip and Bitcoin, the stage is being set for the end times. I'm not saying that these are the tech, this is not the, the actual brand or the currency that the Antichrist is going to be using. What I'm saying now is that the technology is here. Back in the 80s, this, this stuff didn't exist. In the 90s, it didn't exist. But now here we are in a time where if we weren't in the last days, we have now crossed the line because the technology is here. They're doing implanting. They're showing people buying and selling with the chip. I mean, this is crazy. And you may be asking yourself, well, where do you get all this stuff, Ryan? Revelations 13, 16 through 17, it says, he required everyone. Who's he? The Antichrist. The Antichrist required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, everyone from presidents to world leaders to people that are maybe living on the streets to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So now when it says there's a, either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So it's going to be either the system is going to be 
The guy's name, the Antichrist, and his name's not going to be Mr. Antichrist. He's going to have a first and last name. We believe that he's going to rise out of Europe, as, as, the, as, the, as the Bible talks about it. He will rise up out of Europe, and he will have some kind of system that will be like a digital currency or something named after his name. Now, we had Obama as president for the last eight years. He implemented a world, uh, healthcare system for the United States. That's a big part of the world, and that was a, that was a system for healthcare, and we ended up calling it Obamacare. So say Jesus comes back tonight, the rapture leaves, tomorrow everyone's like, where did everyone go? And I'm just going to throw this out just for, you know, fun. The aliens took them. You know, I don't know what happened. But the whole church is going to be gone. There's going to be millions of people gone. The Antichrist, whatever his name is, he's going to rise up. And if he decided to say, hey, all these people are missing, we need to get homeland security, world security, this is just too crazy, and he decides to name this digital currency after his name, Would that be so far-fetched if he did that? No, because we already have people naming systems after their names. These are the signs of the times, and this is why we must reach this generation now with the gospel message. There must be an urgency with us as the church and church leaders. In these last days, in John 4, 34, Jesus says this. Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up. Or in the King James, it says lift your eyes and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest, and the harvests are paid good wages. And they fruit, they harvest are people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike? You know the same. One plants, another harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Uh, others have already done the work, and now you will gather the harvest. Church, our mission As the church, our mission is the Great Commission. We are ambassadors for Christ at such a time as this. These are not depressing times. These are the most exciting times in world history to be living. You have everything that's going on with Israel right now. The Jews were actually allowed to go on top of of where the uh, Temple Mount is uh, about like three weeks ago because there was some, you know, a shooting or whatever, and they were allowed to go up there and pray for the temple. The Jews are this much, just one step closer to building that temple. If you've been to Israel with us and you went to the Temple Institute, you could talk to the Jews there. They're saying that the Messiah will show up any day, and the way they're going to know he's the Messiah is that he's going to build their temple. Who is that in the Bible? That is the Antichrist. They are ready. These are the signs of the times. You have everything going on with the Middle East. You have North Korea, the rocket man, doing his thing. You got Russia. You got Russia. They found Russian warships, submarines, on the coast of the East Coast. About four months ago, did you know that? No, you didn't know that because it only came out in the news on the East Coast. Then you have the chip, you have the Bitcoin, and the culture at large. We, you guys, we, we preach the cross and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The, that is the attraction of our message as the church. What is the attraction of our message? The attraction is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of eternity on a rescue mission to die for sinners like you and like me that can't get it right, that need to be saved by grace. And everyone that puts their trust in him, their name will be written in the book of life. That is the attraction of our messages as believers. Forgiveness of sins, Jesus Christ crucified, and eternal life. Why is eternal life important? Because July 14, 2017, DailyMail.com headlines, Buff Billionaires on the Quest for Eternal Life. This wasn't too long ago. Guess who those billionaires are? 
Amazon CEO, one of several Silicon Valley billionaires looking to stop aging altogether on their quest for eternal life. You got these billionaires that have tons of money. Actually, the Amazon CEO is the richest man on the planet. He's worth 90.6 billion dollars. And what is he doing? He's on a quest for eternal life. And to name a few others, you have the PayPal founder and Google founder who put one billion dollars into the research and many more. There's only one problem, people. And I wish someone would take me to them so I could explain this to them so they could save tons of money and go feed Africa and all of America. There is no eternal life without Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of life. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father God but through me. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. There's a million other ways to go to hell, and you can pick any other way. Just do you. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. There is no eternal life without Jesus Christ. That's why every school that we go to, we preach Jesus Christ crucified and eternal life. And the reaction and the effect of it is 90% of the students at the public high school system are getting saved. 7,500 students already got saved so far, and we just started this tour 18 months ago. That's amazing. Side note, Gen Z, 13 to 25, never heard about Jesus Christ. They have, they have no idea who he is, the majority, 95% of them. Then you got the millennials. They don't even know who Jesus Christ really is either. They definitely don't know who Billy Graham is. It's crazy. The harvest is ripe. So this is why as we go to these schools, we're preaching Jesus Christ crucified. They're getting saved. More students took Bibles and heard the message than the 75. The youth are totally open to the gospel. Don't believe the fake news. I'm going to prove it to you. Here's the last two schools we went to. I went to the school of Montclair. They said, all the bad kids go there. Good luck, Ryan. I said, I come in the name of the Lord's armies. I, I preached. I don't even know what I said, honestly, something about Jesus Christ crucified. And I said, come forward. Then, boom, this was the next photo of all of them coming forward. You see in the... Uh, this is the altar call. Then the week after, we went to the next school. They said, good luck. We showed up in Chino. Je something about Jesus Christ crucified. Come down. Be forgiven. Boom. And I called them forward, and this is what happened. The whole place came forward. This. <laughs> Clearly, this isn't me. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that you felt in this church when you were here worshiping because I couldn't stop crying. I was like, oh, my gosh, the Holy Spirit's thick in this place. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. Its job is to draw these kids. These kids are struggling with all these different things. Students are all wrapped up in sin. That's a culture saying is rad. And maybe you're a student. Maybe you're here. You're caught up in sex, porn, alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs, pain, uh, uh, psychics, astrology, horoscope. Horoscope is witchcraft. Ouija boards, homosexuality, bisexual, pansexual, and transgender. What is pansexual? I know a lot of you guys are like, what? Homosexual, pansexual, what, what? Pansexual is the salad bar of sexuality. If I was pansexual, I could date a homosexual, I could date a lesbian, I could date a straight guy, I could date a transgender, I could date whatever, however, whenever. That is pansexual. And it's not about who you're sleeping with. It's not about your type of what you like right now. Maybe you're dealing with one of these. Maybe you're struggling with your sexuality with this stuff. It's, I'm not here to convince you who to sleep with or who to date. 
I'm here to convince you that Jesus Christ loves you. He has a plan for you. You need to find your identity in Jesus Christ and who you are in him, not in your sexuality, just like people try to find their identity in, in, in different walks of life, their music and the bands they listen to and their sexuality. It's not about that. It's about finding your identity in Jesus Christ, and he works out those details. July 7, 2017, Teen Vogue writes this. The headline says, A Guide to Blank Sex. I can't even say the name in here because it's too disgusting. The article goes, goes on to teach our 11 to 17-year-old girls and boys how to sodomize and get sodomized in detail. I've seen and heard a lot of things, and my mind was blown when I read this. Then you have the music on pop radio alone is like listening to pornography. I was driving the other day with one of my nieces, and I'm listening to 102.7, and all of a sudden I, they're like, print 102.7, I start listening to it, and I'm like, I know slang. I'm like, they are talking nasty on this song right now. So now we have our parents, maybe you, driving down the street, and I changed it immediately, listening to this filth. Our kids are singing the lyrics. They're memorizing it. They don't know it's slang for filthiness. So now we have our kids getting brainwashed with filth. Then we have clothing brands, movies, TV shows, and the music industry and social media pushing sex, drugs, and anti-God ideas, which is introducing them to greater ways of sinning and doing evil because there's no moral standards. And why do I say that? Because if someone that's never been introduced to different you know, styles of sex and different, like you can watch on Instagram and these things and you will, your mind will be blown on what they're introducing our youth to. And drugs, I used to smoke weed, you know, one of the, one of the things, the gateway drug, I call it. Um, started smoking weed when I was young, but you can watch social media and you can learn a hundred different ways to smoke weed these days. I mean, they're teaching our kids how to sin at a higher pace and teaching them things they did not even know. So this is leading our culture to anger, fear, self-harm, unforgiveness, suicide, depression, demonic encounters, anxiety, emptiness, and hopelessness. This is why Jesus says, wake up, lift your eyes, and look around. The harvest is ripe. Did you guys know a 15-year-old living today gathers as much information as a 15-year-old 15-year-old 80 years ago would gather in one year? We are getting overloaded with information. This is why everyone is feeling so empty broken and hopeless and has anxiety. Doctors are prescribing antidepressants like Tic Tacs. Everyone's bipolar. That's just a side note. Um, you know what bipolar is? Flesh spirit. You're going after, you're living the life of the spirit, and then you go after the life of the flesh. And then the doctor says, you're bipolar. You're not bipolar. It's the flesh and the spirit warring with each other. That's why you have to live after the spirit. So now we have a generation of zombies, overdoses at an all-time high. You can Google the statistics. Did you know Americans consume 80% of the world's prescription pain pills? Americans, this was just in the news not too long ago, Americans consume 80% of all pain pills in the world. That is crazy. But we, the church, have the answer to these issues. It's Jesus Christ. The gospel can change someone in a moment. It changed me. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the solution. It doesn't matter what you're going through, you guys. I don't got time to tell my testimony. But I was radically converted, radically changed. I was struggling with drugs, sex, alcohol, and everything in between. And God literally transformed me in a day, took away those addictions, and then he starts transforming my life one day at a time. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, this is trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. I love what Charles Finley writes. He writes, We as Christians have the same commission to fulfill as did the believers in Acts. We also have the same promise of power. It is the utmost importance that all Christians understand this commission to convert the world is given to them by Christ individually. Every believer has the responsibility to win as many souls as possible to Christ. This is the great privilege and duty of all Christ's disciples. Our mission is the Great Commission. I'm going to brainwash you with that. I'm going to, you want, I want you to wake up in the middle of the night. Our mission is the Great Commission. Our mission is the Great Commission. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When Jesus says you will, you better count on it. You will receive power, and you will be his witness. And witness is not only talking about God, but it's living that life. People should, you're either a good witness or a bad witness. If you're in your place of work and you're partaking in the dirty jokes and you're watching nasty stuff with your coworkers, you're a bad witness. We need to be witnesses, live that spirit-led life and not the life of the flesh. If we are not being his witnesses, then we are lacking the power. So we need that dunamis power. We need that dynamite power from heaven so we can be bold and on fire for God, not like this little candle flame that can be blown out, but more like an inferno. Hebrews 12, 29 says this, for our God is a consuming fire. We need God to consume every part of our lives completely so we can live for Christ with no compromise and be holy as he is holy. Leviticus eleven forty five says this, one of my favorite verses, for I, for I the Lord am the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy as I am holy. God wants holiness. The Israelites, God's people, were in Egypt, the land of slavery. He brought them out, brought them into the promised land, into the light, and that he wanted them to live a holy life. And in the same way, God has took us out of our old life of sin and brought us into the light so we could be holy as he is holy. We don't want to be like that dog in Proverbs 26, like the dog returns to its vomit, the fool returns to its foolishness. Think about a dog eating vomit. That's basically what the scripture says. Like when you go back to your sin, you're like the dog eating its vomit. It's disgusting. Write this down. The DNA of sin is selfishness. The DNA of sin is selfishness. That's a quote from Paul Tripp. Everything we do in our life, when we sin, it's all about me, 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 and I, I, I. Think about every time you're going to sin. What's it about? Me, me, I, I. The DNA of sin is selfishness. That's why I love 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22. It says, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation, foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. What is he saying? Be holy as he is holy. In a wealthy home, some of the vessels are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay, and the expensive vessels are used for every special occasion, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special vessel for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. So run from anything that stimulates your youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, which is holiness, faithfulness, love, and peace, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But what is the difference of these vessels that he's talking about? He's talking about gold vessels, and there's vessels for everyday use. In the king's quarters back in those days, they would pop off a party or a barbecue, we'll say, and they'll bring out all the gold vessels, and they'll have all their friends over, and they'll do it, right? But then in the king's quarters also, they would have the vessels of clay, and the vessels of clay that they would use for everyday use 
what would they use it for? To take out the sewage water in the king's quarters. Now, what's this scripture saying? If you keep yourself pure and you keep yourself as a vessel of gold, not putting the filth in, then you'll be used by God. But if you are a vessel of clay, filling yourself with sewage water, then how can God use you? We're all vessels here. That's the whole thing. We're all vessels for God. And we're supposed to keep ourselves clean so God can use us. But if we're putting in stuff, the eye is the light to our body. If we're putting bad stuff, we're watching bad stuff, we're listening to bad stuff, it all goes in the heart. And what comes out, whatever goes in the heart comes back out. That's who you are. So we have to protect our heart, protect our mind, protect our eyes so we can be vessels of gold. This is why we must be holy so we can be used by God for every special occasion. But how can we live a holy life? We must read the Bible, which is the DNA of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the DNA. It's God's word. When we read it, God speaks to us through his word. That's why the word became flesh. God came out of eternity and became Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the DNA of holiness. The DNA of sin is selfishness. The DNA of Jesus Christ is the DNA of holiness. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 through 17 says this about the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and, it, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make you realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is why it's important that we spend time in church. We fellowship, iron sharpens iron. We read the Bible, the DNA of Jesus Christ. We pray, that means talking to God, fasting, waiting on God, dying to self, and worshiping. What does the word worship mean? There's that story when Jesus was getting baptized by John the Baptist, and it says in Luke that Jesus was worshiping, and the sky split, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. That word worship means to bow his will. He was bowing his will to God and being baptized, just like Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Worshiping, he was bound his will to God and saying, not my will, but thy will be done. This is the key to our relationship with God. Matthew 16, Jesus says this. He said to his disciples, and we're all disciples. He says, if any of you want to be my disciples or my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? What is Jesus saying? He's like, hey, if you want to go and do your life, go do you. You're going to lose your life. You're not going to have eternal life. When you take your last breath, because our life is like a vapor of smoke. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But if you come after me, you're going to save it. If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek my will first and you're going to be given life, not only life on this earth, the reason why you were created, but you're going to get eternal life. But he's like, go do you, and you're going to lose your life. There's people here right now, they're like, man, I just need to get that house and that car, you know, and I got to make a million bucks, maybe a half million, and I'll, then I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Go do you. He goes on to say, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Even if you had that million dollars or whatever it is, what, have you ever seen anyone take a million dollars to the grave? You'll never, when's the last time you've seen a hearse carrying millions of dollars and, and, and take it to the grave? It does not happen. There's nothing that will fill that empty void in your life but a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, if I were to ask you, would you sell your soul? You'd be like, you're tripping, Ryan. 
I would never sell my soul. What sin is in our life? Is it our pornography that we're not letting go, that God's like, I'm, I, I'm delivering you from that pornography, but you won't let it go. You keep bowing to Satan. You keep bowing to, to, to the pornography. You keep bowing to that relationship, that emotional relationship with that person at work or in the gym. You keep bowing to cheat on your wife or your husband or this or that, or if you're lying, you're bowing to someone. You either bow to Satan or you bow to God. You bow your will to God in worship. What sin is in our life that we're selling our soul for? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And you could be delivered by, from pornography. I was delivered, and I've been clean of that for nine years. Do you want to know the purpose why you've been created? Follow Jesus Christ 100%. Surrender all. No compromise. Be holy as he is holy and stay connected to the power from heaven. We want the Holy Ghost. We don't want the cool ghost. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost and the cool ghost. The cool ghost is the Christian. He wants to see how far he can get to the edge and still make it into the pearly gates. That's the compromise ghost, and I would not take a chance. The compromise, the Holy Ghost is the compromised ghost. It's the Christian that's constantly always compromising. But then you read about Jesus. I just heard this Bible study today, and I think it was like Luke 13. He was talking about true disciples. He said some disciples, he's talking about people that are going to show up in heaven and say, hey, let me in. And he's just like, I never knew you. They're like, we went to church. We prophesied. We, we heard you teach in the streets. He goes, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. He's talking to the church, people that are in church, that are coming to church, doing their thing, doing them, and then they end up losing their life. It is scary to be rolling with the compromise ghosts. You want to be with the Holy Ghost. I was talking to my dad about the Holy Ghost and being connected to the power. He's like, Ryan, you have an iPhone, right? I said, yes. He's like, what do you do with your iPhone every night? I go, I charge it. I plug it in. He goes, that's exactly how our life with the Holy Ghost is. We need to reach up. We got to charge. We got to be plugged in so we can be charged. He goes, if your phone has no power, what's it good for? I go, absolutely nothing, right? True. So I started thinking about how, well, what about that time when I was going to that music festival? I plugged it in all night. I woke up the next morning. I got in my car. I was in a rush. I get in the car. Boom, 3%. I was like, I was plugged in all night long, but it wasn't fully connected. And in the same way with us as Christians, we could come to church. Like right now, you're plugged in, technically. You're plugged in. You're here listening to what I'm saying. But are you thinking about menudo after? Are you thinking about tacos I'm not into sports. Maybe you're thinking about that game. Maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do after this. Maybe you're thinking, about, you're thinking about that sack of weed in your car. Who knows what you're thinking about? You're plugged in, but you're not connected. Maybe I'll just read that Proverbs really quick, just in case anyone asks me if I'm a good Christian. Plugged in, not connected. You're listening to Bible studies. You're, you're tweeting. You're texting. You're not on airplane mode. You're plugged in, but you're not connected. The key to the power from heaven is to be plugged in and connected. And Jesus tells us in John 7, on the last climax day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds, and he tells us how to be connected and plugged in. He says, if anyone is thirsty, may come to me. Anyone that thirsts for relationship with God, he says, come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Anyone believes that I am the Son of God and died on the cross and raised on the third day could have a relationship with me. And then he goes on to say, For the scriptures declare torrents of living water will flow forth from his heart. And when I looked up that word torrents, it means, in the dictionary, it means a rushing, violent, or abundant, and unceasing stream of anything. So Jesus is saying, I will give you torrents of living water, a raging, overflowing 
force of holy power from heaven to purge and destroy anything that is unholy in our lives that will destroy us. So have you ever seen torrents of living water? You've seen you know, the, the hurricanes. You've seen tsunamis. You see water just coming to the town, remove hotels, remove houses, kill every life form in its way, flip over cars, destroy everything. So Jesus is saying, if you want a relationship with me, you can come to me. I will give you, and in return, I'm going to give you torrents of living water. I'm going to give you the power from heaven to come down and purge and destroy everything that is unholy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It rips out the sin and the unholy things in our life that will destroy us so we can live out the reason why we are created. Power from heaven, torrents of living water. I was given one of these studies at the pastor's conference about 2010, about being on fire for God. You know, because I got saved radically. I had demons coming to my room. I had, like, people, you know, IOD'd three times using crack, heroin, everything all the way down. Radical testimony. I get saved. I show up at the pastor's conference. I'm telling everyone, we need to be holy. We got to deny self, and we got to go reach people because people are dying and going to hell. And people are looking at me like, who is this guy, and where did he come from? And then one of the pastors told this other guy in the coffee house, oh, Ryan's all fired up right now. Let's just watch what happens to him in a couple years. Well, here I am. You know, seven years later, I'm more on fire than I've ever been. It reminds me of that Jeremiah 20, verse 9. But if I say I will never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his words burn in my heart. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I cannot do it. I'm more on fire than I've ever been, and I'm living out the Great Commission. I've been watching Jesus transform people's lives all around me. People that have no hope now have hope. People that were suicidal are no longer suicidal. People that were cutting are no longer cutting. People that were struggling with homosexuality are no longer being homosexuals anymore. They are being transformed. And just like any sin, the thought always, Satan always tempts us, but you don't have to go back to that life. People that did not know God now have a relationship with God. This is the power of the gospel unto salvation. This is why Jesus gave us the Great Commission, church. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Think about how big that sentence is. I've been given all authority, all of heaven and on earth. Everything is mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey my commandments that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying, go out and reach them, baptize them, and bring them to church so they can learn the commandments. But why should we go? Because Jesus, our Lord, commissioned us, and it is our duty. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. We are planting seeds in the hearts of the tribulation saints as we preach the gospel. But more importantly, people are on the highway to hell. Church, we have the get out of hell free card. You know, like Monopoly has the get out of jail free. We have the get out of hell free card. Jesus Christ crucified in the forgiveness of sins, and the bonus is eternal life. That's why Jesus says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gates are wide, for many choose that way. I underline that. No one goes to hell on purpose. Many choose that way because they don't want to bow the will to God. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Why is it so difficult? Because people don't want to bow the will to God. They don't want to surrender. They want to do them. But Jesus says, do you and you're going to lose your life. I mean, is there really any negotiations? 
I'm not trying to go to hell. I lost 16 friends of suicide and drug overdoses. I got saved in 2009, 2008, February 2000, um, sorry, February 21, 2008. During that time, Chuck Smith had a stroke. He was in the hospital. My dad said, Ryan, let's go pray for him. And he went, my dad went to go pray for Chuck. And when we were there, my dad said, Chuck, will you just lay your hands on Ryan? He just got saved from, like, hell. And pray that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and God can use him for whatever. I didn't know what I was going to do, you guys, at that point. I was, like, sober for, like, five months maybe. I mean, that was, like, that was like 20 years to me, you know. I mean, it was a big deal. God, he, he prayed for me. I got baptized. The whosoever's movement started the following year. I've been living out the Great Commission. I literally feel like I've been living the book of Acts since 2009. I've been touring public high schools with the whosoever's movement. We are impacting the rock and world world, the pop world, skateboard, action sports industry, UFC fighters, the art culture, and even actors in Hollywood. Church, we need to be in the world but not of the world like Jesus and the disciples. We need to take the gospel outside of the church. That's why in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Jesus is saying we got to go out to the world. we got to be careful, love God and people, and preach the gospel. As I look at the state of the culture and the church, it reminds me of 2 Chronicles 33, King Manasseh's reign. I don't know if you know the story. But during that time, I'm going to go up and put this Destroy All Gods graphic up. I did this study called Destroy All Gods because as I talk to people in the church, it reminds me of this story. During that time, King Manasseh's reign, he basically was one of those evil kings in Israel. He brought into the church, into the temple, he brought the Zodiac temple. So he got the God's people to worship the stars. He had idols to different gods. They were worshiping astrology, horoscopes, divination, witchcraft, sorcery, psychics and mediums inside the temple, inside the church. So I did my own version. You can't really see it here of that. But they also had these poles of Ashtoreth. This was the God of lust, the God of sex, the God of pleasure. So it was like their first pornography. It would be a statue of this like naked woman. And then what would happen in the church, people would get aroused by it. And then the way they would worship the God of Ashtoreth is they would actually have orgies within the church, having sex with random people, having unwanted just random kids. So then they would decide to worship the God of Molech, the God of pleasure. So now what happens is as you live after the lust and you sleep with random people, you have random kids that you don't want, what do you do? You would worship the God of Molech back then. And the way they would worship the God of Molech is it was a calf. They would heat it up red hot. And then what they would do is they'd get those babies and they would throw them into the fire alive and burn them alive, worship the God of Molech. And why you might be telling me, well, Ryan, why are you telling us we're in 2017? What is the difference when the statistics say that 68% of men in the church consume pornography from promise keepers? Women aren't far behind at this day and age in culture. 50% of the divorces in the church are from pornography. People in the church are watching pornography, going after the God of lust, fertility, the God of Ashtoreth, worshiping that God today. Then what's going on? They're having unwanted kids. Then they just go to the abortion clinic and hit the baby with the liquid fire and worship the God of Molech. There's nothing new under the sun. And you're talking to a guy that's had a girl. I've been through three abortions, and I've given girls morning and after pills. The beautiful thing about this, you guys, is the grace and mercy through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. But I want to stress 
that this wake-up message is to wake the church up and expose the sin so we can live out the reason why we were created and we don't have to be in bondage to what Satan has us in these chains. Right now we have the church of Satan doing after-school events like the whosoever's. It's in L.A. Times. They're evangelizing the schools. The homosexual community are the biggest and most effective evangelists in the world right now. Church, we, the culture, is being conditioned for the Antichrist at a higher pace. Satan is revealing himself as he's not even hiding anymore. I went to the Harry Potter land in Universal Studios, and they are there showing kids how to buy wands and teaching them to cast spells. All Satan needs is a doorway to come in. If you have any Harry Potter stuff, that is straight witchcraft. If I had more time to tell you about demonic stuff because of Harry Potter stuff, I would tell you. But I'm going to tell you right now, throw all that stuff away, all supernatural videos, any of that stuff, throw it all away. Satan is revealing himself, and he's not even hiding anymore. But are we reaching this generation? Are we living out the Great Commission? Do we know the signs of the times? Are we awake? Are we looking around? Have we become institutionalized and lost touch with the culture? Now, when I say that, have we lost touch with the culture? Have we become institutionalized? I meet with the director of the Billy Graham Association every, like, four months. And then I meet with the Gideons, too. So I got the suit and ties here and the suit and ties here. I'm like the wild man with the conservatives, right? And I told them, I said, and I'm coming to the end of my message right now. I said, this is the challenge for all of you guys. I said, I'm mad at the church. He's like, Ryan, you ain't mad at the church. I said, I'm mad at the church. Well, why are you mad at the church? I said, because we're not reaching the world. Like, dude, it's crazy out there. And people are more caught up in, like, the, the programs than going out and reaching these kids and loving on people, loving people into the kingdom. And a lot of churches don't even want to deal with kids off the street. They don't want to intermix them with the church kids. It's crazy. We're right. it's, everything's backwards. He's like, Ryan, you're not mad at the church. He goes, you're mad at the institution of the church. They become institutionalized. I go, yeah, I'm mad at the institution of the church. That's why I meet with you, director of uh, Billy Graham Association. So I tell people I don't hate the church. We are the church. We are the church. The institution is what's messing us up. Are we all wineskins? This has nothing to do with age. I met a 16-year-old old wineskin. Are we Pharisees and we don't care about people? Pharisees were religious people, but they did not want to touch sinners. They were like these dirty sinners. Are we living in the church bubble? Are we talking Christianese to the culture? They don't understand Christianese. Clearly, this is not what the gospel or the book of Acts teaches us. John C. Maxwell writes this, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chief were 200 and all their brethren were in their command. One of the most popular passages in 1 Chronicles is found in chapter 12. The sons of Issachar are there described as men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. What a description of the law of intuition. Before Israel made a decision, they got discernment. The sons of Issachar understood three key factors. Number one, the culture. They understood the population and the place where they lived. Number two, the timing. They understood the times and, the, and discerned when to move. Number three, the strategy. They knew what Israel ought to do, the steps, they should be, that, the steps that should be taken. How about you? Are you the sons of Issachar? Do you understand the culture, its trends, its myths, its strengths, its dangers? Do you understand the age in which we are living, its direction and general movement? And do you have the strategy to grapple both the culture and the times? Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John the Baptist, to name a few, understood these three key factors. John the Baptist, for instance. John, 
He was a pastor's kid in line to become a priest. He didn't fit into the mold of the church. He didn't become what people thought he should be by default. He didn't become a priest. He was an individual. He marched to the beat of his own drum. He didn't become institutionalized by the church or its styles or its traditions. He lived off the land. He was probably broke as a joke. He ate locusts and honey. You got to be broke to be eating locusts and honey. I'll tell you that right now. Locusts for sure. He was unorthodox. He was radical in his approach and his ministry. Warren Wiersbe writes this about him. John was from the earth, and John was not the Christ, the prophet, nor Elijah. Neither was he a reed blowing in the winds or trying to please everyone. Today's culture is marked by politically correctness. We must not offend people by disagreeing with their ba- or challenging their basic beliefs. John knew nothing of such compromise. He came with an axe to cut at the root of the trees and the wind fork to separate the wheat from the chafe and fire to burn up the dead trees and the useless chaff. Our English word radical comes from the word Latin radix, which means root. With axe in hand, John was a radical who got to the root of the sin problem. And in closing, he was a voice shouting to the wilderness, prepare the way for the Jesus' coming. His message was straight up exactly how Gen Z and the millennials want to hear it. I would say the culture wants to hear it. He was a man of the word, prayer, fasting, waiting on God, and dying to self. God had to work in him before he could work through him. He was full of the Holy Spirit, fire and power. John 5, Jesus said this, John was like a burning and shining lamp. He waited for God's plan and time until he was 30 years old. He even started his public ministry until he was 30, waiting on God for the plans, the marching orders. He fulfilled his duty and lived the Great Commission, and his, mission, and his ministry was a success. It only lasted three years, but it was successful. Revival broke out. John and Jesus both preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message we preach today. When you hear this word, repent, you know, sometimes you see these guys that hate people, and they're saying, repent, you're going to die. God hates everyone. I mean, I'm the only one getting saved, going to heaven. Have you seen those guys? That's not cool. That's not Jesus' heart. Repent means, it's simple. It just means to change your heart. If you're going in one direction right now, do inventory on your life. Everything that I said tonight, if you're living your life as the flesh life, you're going after your body appetites, you're doing you, you're not happy, you have anxiety, depression. I mean, when you're living after the flesh, it's, life's not cool. I don't care how happy you are, you think you are. You're not happy. You're living that life. Repent basically means to basically flip a Yui. Instead of, it's very simple. Instead of going that direction, repent means to change your heart, mind, and go the opposite direction towards God. Flip a U-turn, run to God, repent, and be forgiven for your sins. We are all voices in the wilderness in this culture, and our mission is the Great Commission. And the verse that God gave me for this whole message, to tie it all up for the church, for this message, 2 Chronicles 7.14, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and restore their lands. What is the key to our relationship with God? It's our heart. All we have to do is repent. You guys, we're all sinners. I'm the worst of the sinners. I don't have it figured out. I'm, I, I got issues in my life, you guys. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm just trying to be good. But no good is in us. 
It's only Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that we can do that can get us into heaven. It has to be a supernatural work of the Holy Ghost, fire and power to come and consume every part of our lives so we can live out the reason why we were created and we don't have to keep going back to that old life. And it all comes down to where we have to repent. Repent means flip a U-turn. It's that simple. And when you flip that U-turn, Jesus dying on the cross. Have you guys ever heard of the Amex card, the black card? The Amex black, I didn't hear about it time I had met a rich friend. The black Amex card is basically a credit card that has no limit. No limit. You could buy a $30 million house. With, there's no limit. I mean, go buy a jet, Learjet. I mean, I don't even know how much those things are. But there's no limit. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins as the blood that was shed on the cross and he died on the third and he was raised. Now we can come boldly to the throne of Christ. And as we come to Christ, Jesus, forgive me for this. Jesus, help me to do this. And as we ask for forgiveness, it's like the black card. We keep getting covered with the blood that was shed on the cross. White as snow. White as snow. Our sins are white as snow. And that, that grace and that mercy that comes over us is like the waves of the ocean. It's continual, just coming, washing over us. There's nothing but grace and mercy, forgiveness of sins, as we have that relationship with God. My life verse says, 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord range or search throughout the whole earth to strengthen whose hearts are fully committed to him. That means that God's eyes are looking through the whole earth, searching to look for whoever's, eye, whoever's hearts are fully committed. Not, he didn't say the guy that gives money to the church, the guy that goes to all the men's conferences, the women that cooks all the brownies for the church, the, you know, the perfect Christian, the one that's read the Bible a million times. No whosoever his hearts are fully committed to him, he's looking to strengthen them and build them up. And God has a plan for you. I know there's a lot of you guys here that are dealing with stuff. That's awesome. We're all dealing with this. But you guys, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm nothing. You're going, that's roll something. <laughs> Who cares? He's a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace.